I'm Isaac Suleiman with Suleiman Farms in Sullivan City, Texas. You're listening to the latest news in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. we got another episode of Texas Ag Today ready to roll for you. So why don't you jump on in with me and buckle up. We're going to take a ride around the Lone Star State as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the nation, Texas agriculture. In the news today, we visited with Corpus Christi Congressman Mike Cloud. He has been the only member of our congressional delegation on either one of the ag committees in Washington over the past two years. Of course, we did have Myra Flores on there for a very short period of time, but for the most part, Mike Cloud has been our single representative on the ag committee. We check in with him to get his reflection on the past two years coming up to kick off today's show. My name is Kerry Martin. I'm your host along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the piney woods of East Texas to the rocky ranges of the Trans-Pecos and from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. We've had some things that have gone fairly well for winter wheat in the Texas High Plains, even though a long growing season is still ahead of us. I'm James Hunt, and coming up on Texas Ag Today, we'll talk about why growing winter wheat is good for many reasons. A U.S. Department of Agriculture grant for Texas soybean producers is part of a Climate Smart Commodities Partnership. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have details straight ahead on Texas Ag Today. Well, we're in the dormant season for plants in Texas. Please join me, John Begnos. We talk how to deal with some of these falling leaves in Texas. We'll have those stories plus Texas wildlife news and a complete look at the markets all coming up. Corpus Christi Congressman Mike Cloud is wrapping up his first two-year term on the House Agriculture Committee. In fact, Cloud has been the only member of the Texas delegation to serve on either Ag Committee in this current Congress. I asked him how he felt about serving Texas agriculture on that committee for the past two years. Well, it's kind of twofold in in a sense. As far as what happened in the committee, I wish we could have accomplished a whole lot more. A lot of the hearings were really just partisan messaging hearings, to be honest, uh, when we could have been doing a whole lot more work to prep for the farm bill. On on the other hand, though, I'll say working with the ag community has been great. You know, it's just awesome to work with people who are working in the fields, working cattle, doing what they can to supply our our country with the food and and resources we need to, to keep moving forward. That part's been great. Cloud says he's looking forward to the House Ag Committee returning to Republican control, with Pennsylvania Congressman G.T. Thompson taking the helm as chairman in the next Congress. USDA's latest estimate of Texas cotton production now stands at 3.3 million bales. That's 57% lower than last year, where we produced 7.7 million. Yield is now averaging 634 pounds per acre. That is down from last year's 666 pounds. Acreage harvested this year, 2.5 million acres, down 55% from last year. Overall, United States cotton production now forecast at 13.8 million bales. 
down 20% from last year's $17.2 million. Nationwide yield expected to average 857 pounds. That is up 44 pounds from 2021. And acreage expected to be 7.7 million acres, 24% lower than last year. Cold, wet weather is setting in across Texas, and that means that some farmers in central and northeast Texas may not get a wheat crop in this year. John Paul Deneen farms in Waxahachie, just south of Dallas. He says he had a very wet fall, and that hasn't allowed him to plant anything this fall. No, it's uh, like most guys are saying, sitting in the buggy, uh, waiting, which is good. We had a really wet November, but unfortunately that hurt us on planting wheat, last cutting the hay, that kind of stuff. But it has filled up our stock tanks, which is a blessing. We haven't had any runoff rain in a year and a half. But he does hope to get a little in the ground here and there. You know, it won't be any wall-to-wall kind of planting. It'll be tippy-toe planting, I like to say, just up on the hills. If we can get a little sunshine, get some dry spots, we'll have to be real careful because the seeps are running and it's pretty wet. John Paul Deneen in Waxahachie. Now for those Texas wheat farmers who have got a crop in this year, this could be a good season for growing wheat. James Hunt tells us it has a lot of benefits for Texas farmers. Markets always fluctuate, but winter wheat prices remain pretty healthy right now, and even though everyone wants more moisture, recent precipitation has boosted optimism about our area's crop. One person who's enthusiastic about wheat is Dr. Mark Welch, grain marketing economist with Texas A&M. I caught up with Dr. Welch recently, and as he explained why wheat is such a viable crop, he started off talking about the versatility it offers to farmers. If nothing else, wheat is a cover crop. Get something in the ground, hold the soil, those soil building characteristics that wheat can bring, get that in the ground. And with wheat, you can make a decision in January, February, March, what you want to do from there. Of course, you have forage possibilities, taking it to grain. Again, you can even terminate the crop and plant something else in it. A lot of flexibility when it comes to wheat. With these really high prices, the budgets for wheat look really good, especially when you consider that in terms of an input cost per acre, wheat is one in which... You can do it a lot more cheaply than you can some of those other enterprises. Whenever you look at, you know, corn and looking at cotton, again, that investment, that risk that you take putting those inputs in early, you've got a lot less sunk early in the year with wheat compared to some of the other crops. The other thing is wheat will be coming out of the field in May in South Texas as we get into June and early July, and there are still double cropping opportunities across much of the state. And again, another window of opportunity that wheat brings. So I just think in this current environment with high prices, We've got some moisture, and with the flexibility that wheat brings into production capacity, whether forage or grain or just as a cover crop, wheat just works. And so I think that's why we're seeing such an interest, and I expect a significant increase in acres, particularly across Texas this year, when we're looking for wheat for 2023. Once again, that was Dr. Mark Welch of Texas A&M. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. USDA is investing big bucks for climate-smart agriculture here in Texas. Tom Nicoletti has the story. The U.S. Department of Agriculture and the University of Texas at Arlington, in partnership with Texas A&M AgriLife, Charlton State University, and the University of Missouri, showcased a new project in Arlington and Dallas that uh, provides small, underserved soybean producers in Texas, Arkansas, and Missouri with sufficient incentives to encourage the use of climate-smart practices. Joining me from Dallas uh, at the AgriLife Research and Extension Center is USDA Undersecretary for Farm Production and Conservation, Robert Bonney. And uh, Undersecretary Bonney, explain the significance of this nearly $5 million voluntary project for soybean uh, producers in the three states. 
Well, it's good to be with you, Tom, and we're really excited about this project. We've announced $325 million through our Partnerships for Climate Smart Commodities program, and these are grants to help small, medium-sized, underserved producers deploy climate smart practices. It's an effort to work with those soybean producers in in three states using a variety of different practices, cover crops, no-till, biochar applications, use of biofertilizers, and to look at ways that we can both maintain and enhance the productivity of those lands even while we reduce greenhouse gas emissions. And that's a really important thing. I think it's not just about reducing greenhouse gas emissions. It's also about maintaining and enhancing agricultural productivity and then making sure that this ultimately pencils for agriculture. If it doesn't pencil for agriculture, it's not going to pencil for the climate. That is USDA Undersecretary for Farm Production and Conservation, Robert Bonney, in Dallas. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. With the short days and cold temperatures setting in around the state, plants are going into the dormant season. San Angelo horticulturalist John Begno looks at what plants go through during this season. Dormancy is really important to plants. And if you understand a little bit about what's going on, it's it's basically a rest period. We have deciduous and evergreens, but they, they actually both rest during wintertime because of the temperature spread. When temperatures are below about 40 degrees, then plants don't really want to grow. They don't photosynthesize. They don't respire. So they just take a rest. And when it gets a little bit above that, like 90 degrees in the summertime, they don't want to do it either. That's not really a rest. That's just a mechanism that keeps them from kind of consuming themselves. So dormancy is governed basically by daylight and a lot by temperatures. And when we see dormant trees, we have those, of course, that lose their leaves. And that's kind of what we're dealing with right now. And questions sometimes come in like, are there any bad leaves for your garden or for your shrub beds or that you can compost with? And they're very, very few. Walnuts are one that do contain a a toxin in them that can inhibit plant growth, but we don't have that many walnut trees. uh, So we don't concern ourselves with that. And it's a very, very small problem. All leaves are basically good. We know that leaves compost at different rates. Those that are very rigid, like say sycamores and live oaks, are slow and hard to compost and kind of tricky. You have to have that green brown and a little bit of fertility in there to make the microbes work faster. But if you're not in a hurry, you can stack them and just let them break down on their own over a year or two. Some leaves compost very quickly and those, of course, are the ones that are very thin. We like to get them up off of turf grass areas if they're too thick because they can kind of smother and they prevent the movement of water into the ground and absorbed by the roots through the winter time. And moisture is critical for most plants during the winter just to keep them hydrated and alive. So that's one of the major reasons. It's not just to get them off because they, they look bad. Now, there's a neighbor relations deal there. You don't want to let them blow around and get into all your neighbor's yards and be the, the bad guy in the area. But if you're in the country, it doesn't really matter. You can just leave them there and let them blow totally off. But getting them up and reusing them in gardens is the number one reuse for leaves in Texas. Reporting from San Angelo for Texas Ag Today, this is John Begno. Saltwater anglers could see some regulation changes in the upcoming seasons. I'm Jessica Dolmel, and I'll have more coming up on Texas Ag Today. And probiotics are commonly used in human and veterinary medicine. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today.
Texas Farm Bureau has served farm families in rural Texas for nearly 90 years. We're pleased to offer new affordable health care coverage choices for all Texans through Texas Farm Bureau Health Plans. You do not need to be a member to inquire and apply. Plans are available anytime. There is no open enrollment period. Our United Healthcare Choice Plus network of providers is one of the largest available. For more information about the different plans, how to apply, or to get a quote for you, your family, or your small business, call 833-TX-HEALTH or visit 833-TXHEALTH.com. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Probiotics are commonly used in human and veterinary medicine. But Dr. Bob Judd says some probiotics for horses, but Dr. Bob Judd says some probiotics for horses are questionable. Researchers at Washington State indicate in the Journal of Equine Veterinary Science that a probiotic should contain live organisms that remain viable in the horse's large intestine in sufficient quantities to provide a beneficial effect to the patient. Unfortunately, most probiotics marketed for horses do not meet these criteria. Consumers expect that when an ingredient is listed on the label, it will be present in the product. And with probiotics, this is not always the case. Several studies over a 19-year period have shown that probiotics marketed for horses rarely contain live microorganisms in the quantities listed on the label, and many do not contain the microorganisms at all. Universal label requirements for supplements in the United States do not exist, and many times storage instructions are not included. This is important because of the product to be effective, it must contain live microorganisms, and incorrect storage can affect these organisms. Also, many supplements do not have an expiration date, and we know these organisms will not survive forever, so a probiotic without an expiration date should not be purchased. Purchasing probiotics mixed in feed may be a better option, as all AFCO-compliant feed is required to be labeled correctly. The other concern is that many of the probiotics contain microorganisms beneficial to people and are not necessarily beneficial to horses, and their digestion is much different. So make sure any probiotic you purchase has an expiration date, storage instructions, and information that it has been tested in horses. I'm veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Texas saltwater anglers could see some changes in the upcoming season. Jessica Domel takes a look at those changes in today's wildlife report. To help anglers fishing in both state and federal waters and the law enforcement officials who are tasked with enforcing state fishing regulations, the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department is proposing a change to saltwater fishing regulations. Dacus Giesland, TPWD's Deputy Director of Coastal Fisheries, briefed the Parks and Wildlife Commission on the proposed changes at their last meeting. He says one proposal that would impact saltwater anglers would mirror the Federal Descend Act of 2020. Now, this would apply to any commercial, charter, headboat, or private vessel fishing for a reef fish, such as the red snapper. It would require anglers, in an effort to reduce barrow trauma and discard mortality associated with bringing up these deeper fish, as they are brought to the surface, what happens is their air bladders expand, causes all kinds of physiological trauma, often resulting in, in their mortality. And what this would do is require anglers to have either a venting tool, which is essentially a, a hollow ice pick where you could insert into the fish at the appropriate spot and vent the fish or require to have a descending device rigged and ready to use. That descending device, it's set onto the fish just much like a boca grip, a weight 
drags the fish down underneath, and when it reaches a preset depth that you've determined, it releases that fish. So we feel that that's a prudent step in the conservation of these reef fish, particularly red snapper, and again, to reduce some of that discard mortality. Another proposal from TPWD would change the bag limit for cobia or ling from two fish to one. TPWD is expected to brief the Parks and Wildlife Commission on these proposals at their meeting January 25th and 26th in Austin. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. We saw several losses in the cattle futures market over the past week, but Friday ended mostly higher. We'll check out all of Friday's livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. After my first car accident, I feared the biggest damage would be to my wallet. I expected a mountain of bills and a long, drawn-out process. But my Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent was there when I needed her and helped me get back on my feet and in my car in no time. Instead of a hassle, I got reassurance and a quick recovery. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to find an agent who's there when you need them most. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. Cattle futures ended on an upswing on Friday. We were mostly higher on both live and feeder cattle. December live cattle up a dollar, closing the week at 155.05. February up 92, 155.77, while April live cattle up 77, 159.70. Feeder cattle higher on most contracts. January feeders up 72 at 183.77. March feeders up to 184.70. The April was the only lower contract we saw. It was down 12 cents, 188.12. Cash fed cattle market saw 155 move most of our fed cattle last week. That is fully steady with the previous week. That didn't sell all of the cattle though. Packers were bidding 155 on Friday, but feedlots were asking 156 to 157 on the cattle left on the show list. Boxed beef prices jumping sharply higher again on Friday. Choice up 658 at 26088. Select up 599 at 23450. Now let's check the auction barns. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. Brian Lentzman and family own and operate Seguin Cattle Company. They'll sell sheep and goats and cattle on Wednesday. Brian, how'd this week's sales go? Ended up with 977 head of cattle. Uh, I'd call this doctor market another five to seven better. Packing cows and bulls steady. So just a terrific finish for the year. Uh, those good two, three weight steers, $1.74 to $2.55. Three to four weights, $1.61 to $2.68. Four to five weights, $1.52 to $2.19. Five to six weights, $1.40 to $1.98. Six to seven weights, $1.37 to $1.66. Seven to eight weight steers $1.28 to $1.55 when you get to the heifer mates those 2 to 3 weights $1.35 to two thirty. Three to 4 weights $1.29 to two twenty six. Four to 5 weights $1.25 to $1.84 5 to 6 weights $1.25 to $1.67 and the 6 to 7 weight heifers $1.29 to $1.62 so you know you start doing the math on these things they're they're dollaring out lots of money yep. on the utility cows uh, top end of the cows bring 80 cents today uh, top end of the packer bulls $1.16 uh, had a few cow and calf pairs from $600 
600 to 1,025 with the middle-aged uh, palpated cows bringing from 700 to 1,025. So, like I said, just it was a good sale all the way around. And that's the last one for the year? Yes, sir. And uh, sheep and goats, we ended up with 725 head of them. And uh, those good nannies uh, up to 270 with the good lambs. Uh, our good kids bringing up to 340. And uh, those Dorper ewes, uh, top end 250 with lambs bringing 310. So, yeah, it's, this was the last sale of the year. And we'll crank back up on January the 4th. Well, tell everybody how to get a hold of you, Cousin Brian. You can give us a call at 830-379-9955, or you can call me on my cell phone at 830-305-0652. And I want to wish everybody in, in the state of Texas and the whole United States Merry Christmas and Happy New Year from Skiing Cattle Company. Neighbor, that's our livestock auction market report for today. We'll see you next time right here as we walk the pens. I'm Larry Marble for Texas Ag Today. Thanks, Larry. Back over to the futures market now, where lean hogs close sharply higher Friday. February hogs up 412 at 8577. April hogs up 355. 92.72. Class 3 milk was lower. Nearby December milk down 2 cents at 20.52 a hundredweight, while January milk was down 41 at 19.23 a hundred. The cotton market traded mostly sideways on Friday. Not a lot of news to really move the market in either direction, but we did end up closing higher. March cotton up 89 points, 81.92. May cotton up 84 at 82.08, while new crop December cotton was up 58 points at 80.22 cents. The corn market just drifted slightly lower with March corn down a half, 6.53 a bushel. May corn down a quarter penny, 653 and a half. New crop September corn down a penny at 610 and a quarter. The wheat market dropped lower, especially on the hard wheat. Traders had a lot of news to digest during the week. Of course, Russia attacking a Ukraine grain elevator started the week. That boosted prices somewhat. And they've also dealt with the weather forecast. We've got some very cold temperatures moving into the U.S. high plains. And, of course, that cold temperature comes with ice, snow, and rain. We wrap trading up on Friday with March Kansas City wheat down 16 and a half, 844 a bushel. New crop July down 13 at 831 and three quarters. Soft wheat was slightly lower. March Chicago wheat down three and three quarters, 753 and a half. In the energy markets, January natural gas down 34 cents, 662. January crude oil down $1.91 at $74.20 a barrel. The financial markets lower Friday afternoon. The Dow down 247 points at 32,954. The Nasdaq down 86, 10,726. The S&P down 35 at 3,860. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. I'm Kerry Martin. Hope to see you back here next time as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the U.S. of A., Texas agriculture. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.